This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Be Here Now Network guest podcast. This series features talks from a myriad of modern spiritual teachers expanding on how we can all live a life in balance. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash guest. Hello, everyone. My name is Linwood Heyman, and I am an associate professor of behavioral health science in the School of Community Health and Policy at Morgan State University. I'm here to welcome you all to check out a a series of podcasts that my brother and I put together uh, over the month of March for the good people of the Twin Cities of Minnesota, specifically uh, in reference to everything that was going on during the trial of George Floyd's murderer. My brother, the Reverend Dr. Ron Bell, is the uh, pastor at Camphor Memorial United Methodist Church in St. Paul. And along with the minister of uh, multimedia or something like that, uh, they put together, the three of us put together four Um, podcasts or four discussions where Dr. Bell and myself discuss the significance of taking a community approach to coping and dealing with the trauma that we experience. It's a fantastic series of conversations. There's four of them, the first of which is going to be on uh, the Be Here Now Network. So I invite you to check it out. Um, also, I had the great privilege of sitting with Mirabai Bush on her podcast series, specifically on the April 28th, uh, recording of her, uh, Walking Each Other Home podcast series. So please check me out on there. Um, I look forward to spending time with you all, even across time and space, and I wish you all well. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I want to welcome you uh, tonight for our first round of conversations around trauma. Listen, I need you to share this with your friends, share this with your coworkers. Uh, We're going to be on here every Tuesday night 
at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time talking about trauma. As many of you know, we are dealing with complicated trauma. We've got uh, COVID that we are still wrestling with. We've got issues around uh, uh, health disparities and injustice that we're still dealing with, issues around poverty and folk out of work. We have issues around race, issues around politics. And then on top of all of that, uh, we have the Derek Chauvin trial that's beginning uh, this week, or at least the uh, jury selection beginning this week. And so for many of us, there's a complicated grief, complicated trauma uh, going on. And so what we wanted to do was to create a space, a uh, curated black and brown space uh, for us just to have some conversation around how do we manage the trauma? How do we mitigate some of that stuff while still seated right in the middle of it? And so, listen, I have the greatest guest ever uh, uh, to help lead and walk us through this discussion together. Um, my literal brother, uh, uh, the Dr. Linwood Heyman, Morgan State University professor, high, 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 Eastern Shore, Maryland Eastern High, high all that stuff. Yeah. Listen. So, so I am I am absolutely excited to have my brother um, uh, participate in this conversation to help lead us through some of this discussion. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the floor over to him for introduction, and then we'll go into our roadmap uh, to center the exercise, and then get straight into the content. So, uh, Dr. Heyman, uh, and, and do I have permission to call you Lenny um, in this in this piece? Okay, okay, Dr. Heyman, can you can you can you can you lead the people, please, sir? Word up, peace, everybody. It's good to be here. Good to be with my brother. I am an associate professor of behavioral health science in the School of Community Health and Policy at Morgan State University. So what that basically means is I focus on mental health and uh, psychological well-being, but from a public health standpoint, um, I am. Uh, uh, primarily a resilience researcher. So you, it's hard for me to talk about trauma without talking about resilience and the importance and the significance of resilience. So uh, it, it, was, it was just an easy conversation for us to go into tonight. So I'm really looking forward to it as well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm excited. Y'all, y'all, y'all caught that Morgan State University, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all caught that. Hey, we got some scholarship money. So if you want to go to Morgan, let me know. I can, I can, I can hook it up. I can hook it up. <laughs> so, so we, so for the next four weeks, next four Tuesdays, um, we're going to be talking about trauma, and we're going to be talking about it using four principles um, that are dear to me, uh, called the four promises. And the first promise is. Uh, I promise to give myself permission to be fully present in my trauma. And so tonight we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, permission. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the importance of rituals. The second promise is I, I promise to create or find rituals that help me sustain myself in the midst of my trauma. The third promise is circles. Uh, uh, I promise to create circles or find circles that, that give me health and space to be freely who I am in the midst of my trauma. And then the last promise is stories. I promise to retell the story of my trauma in a way that gives me his, uh, victory even in the midst of the trauma. So we're going to spend the next four weeks on Tuesday evenings talking about those four pieces. Uh, and, and they really came um, out of Baltimore City. Uh, uh, when I was at Morgan, um, I used to play for my aunt's church, uh, Holy Temple Church of God in Christ 
yes, ma'am, yes, sir, on uh, 400 North Pratt Street, uh, Baltimore City. And so I remember playing for that church as a musician and just watching these folks doing testimony service and watching them come with these horrible stories. I mean, just just horrible stories. But somewhere in the middle of them telling of their story, uh, uh, there would be hope. There would be a sense of excitement. There would be a sense of freedom. And so the band would be cued in. The the folk would start dancing and shouting around them. And they experience a, a, a piece of freedom right there in the middle of their stories. And so these four promises come out of what I saw there, right? And so they and so because they gave themselves permission to be fully present, they can experience healing. That was the first promise. Because they found ritual, right? The telling of their story, the music, the dancing, they were able to find healing, right? Right, right, right. Because they had their circle, they found a circle that was healing, right? You know, the mothers would surround them when they started talking, right? They found healing. And then lastly, because they were retelling their story in a way that gave them hope and victory, right? They found healing. And so the four promises that we're going to be discussing over these next four weeks come out of that experience. And I think for really for all of us, not just black and brown folk, but for all of us, it helps to kind of really give us a, a, a guide to finding healing even in the midst of our stuff. And so and so that's kind of the roadmap uh, for the next four weeks. Uh, I want to jump into a centering exercise um, as we get into the discussion and then we'll go from there. All right. So so what I want y'all to do, what I want y'all to do is uh, for those who are watching, um, I can't see you. So I'm going to have to trust you doing what I'm asking you to do. I want you to shake your arms. For those who are watching, I want you to shake your arms. Lenny, oh, I see you. Got, you already got it. So I see you. Okay, we're going to pop lock it. Okay, okay. <laughs> now, now, why are you shaking? I want you to cross your arms and freeze. I want you to just cross your arms and freeze. Cross your arms and freeze. Those who are watching, I want you to cross your arms and freeze. Don't, don't drop your arms. I want you to cross them and freeze. I want you to notice while your arms are still crossed, uh, which arm is on top and which arm is on the bottom. I just want you to, to be aware of what's on top and what's on bottom. Keep it, keep them crossed. Okay, now let them loose and I want you to shake again. I want you to shake again. Shake it, shake yourself, watch it. I want you to do all that, right? Now I want you to cross your arms again, but this time I want you to put the opposite arm on top. And I want you to freeze. The opposite arm on top. I want you to freeze. I want you to freeze. I want you to freeze. I want you to notice how uncomfortable that is. I want you to notice how unsettling it was. I want you to notice how you had to pause to figure out how even to cross your arm the other way. I want you to be aware of that. Because here's the reality. You can, you, you, can, you can drop your arms. But here's the reality. Many of us have been used to crossing our arms one way. And we have, we have unconsciously accepted that that's the way to cross our arms. But what we're going to uncover over these next four weeks is there is another way. But it takes intentionality. It takes coming out of our comfort zones. It takes challenging even the most subconscious and 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 and, and deep seated uh, beliefs that 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 we have been brought up on. It, it it takes being conscious of what we say and how we say stuff and what we do uh, to be able to do something new. And it takes consistency. 
So the stuff you will hear tonight, the stuff you'll hear over the next four weeks, we no one is expecting that you're going to get it done uh, in a day. But what we are expecting is that if you are consistent around your own healing, if you are intentional around your own healing, if you are, let me say it again, if you are intentional around your own healing, you will learn to cross your arms a new way. You'll learn a new skill set. You'll learn a new way of maneuvering and, and being visible, being present in this world that not only gives you hope, but gives you freedom. Dr. Heyman, you want to say anything about that? The significance of crossing your arms, what we're what Reverend Ron is pointing out is that a lot of times we are used to holding ourselves a specific way. Such that when we cross our arms, this is a defense mechanism, right? This is a way of this is a physiological or a uh, an embodied demonstration of shielding. I'm mm. holding myself so that I can calm down or so that I can be more comfortable in regards to whatever is in front of me, right? And so what Reverend Ron is suggesting is we're going to have to learn a new way to hold ourselves. We're going to have to learn a new way to hold ourselves through these multiple traumas that we are actively living through. And it's not that the old way isn't, isn't it, that it hasn't worked. That's what's allowed you to survive. But the new way is intended to help us thrive. I mean, that's powerful. That's powerful. And, 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 and one of the reasons that's powerful is because this new way that you're talking about um, requires intentionality. Yes, it does. Right. Because perhaps the old way um, did not value myself as the one being held. Yeah. Instead, the old way valued the protection against whatever was coming. That's right. Does that make sense? So it makes absolute sense. Yes, so I'm not valuing myself as the one being held. I'm valuing the, the, the protection is what is what's of value. Yeah. What, what we're saying here is that we've got to get to the point now where we are intentional about our own personhood, yes, about our own presence, even in the midst of the condition. I love, there's a quote from um, Lena Horne. I love, I love it. She says that it's not the weight of, of, of what you're carrying that breaks you down. It's how you're carrying it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? And so it's not that, it's not that these stressors and these pressures don't exist. It's that if we don't value ourselves, if we don't place ourselves center stage in the middle of this thing as equity, as equal partners, as, as present beings, then we get burdened down by these things instead of allowing ourselves uh, uh, to be healed, to be whole, to be seen and present. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. That's good. That's good. And that's a great lead into this discussion on permission. It's a great lead into uh, the need for permission. Um, there, there, there are a number of different emotions, right? Tons of them. Um, in fact, when, um, when Ebony and I were in marriage counseling uh, several years ago, we used to use one of those emotional wheels. And so the, ther- 
You see them? Yeah. And so you want to talk back to your spouse. The therapist says, no, 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 no. Grab your wheel. Grab your wheel. <laughs> I feel frustrated, right? <laughs> right? And so you would have to explain that way. But there, there, are, there are tons of, of, of emotions, but there are six basic core emotions that every human has, right? Um, uh, uh, anger, fear, uh, happiness, sadness, disgust, and surprise, right? Six, six basic kind of core uh, emotions that all of us have. The problem, Dr. Heyman, is that even though these emotions are core and exhibited by all of humanity, we get in positions specifically as black and brown people where we don't allow ourselves uh, to have permission to express our emotions. Mm-hmm. And so we end up hiding or sheltering our emotions while everybody else is out here getting mad, happy, sad, uh, surprised, doing their thing. And here we are sitting holding, holding our emotional stuff. Can you talk to us about um, why, why, why that's particularly dangerous when it comes to black and brown bodies? Absolutely. One of the one of the most significant aspects, one of the most significant exercises, one of the most significant applications of oppression is to ridicule an individual for how they are demonstrating their emotions, right? Mm. So if I can point out to you that oh you 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 seem or feels like you're angry or wow you know what is that face about or or I, I, why why are you reacting that way can you you know can you explain to me why you know what that is and when we when we have a uh, uh, when there is a system put in place that um, disincentivizes us from being in touch with our feelings. Um, When there is a system that has been put in place um, that invalidates our feelings, when there's a system that has been put in place that that views us as caricatures of feelings rather than a human being that is allowed to experience these feelings what happens is it becomes challenging for us to be able to identify what those feelings are, right? To to actually label them, and because this this system has been in place for 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 centuries now, it has it has become transgenerational to the extent that whereas there are are are, are some parents who are emotionally intelligent and socially intelligent enough to be able to teach their children. This is how you label your emotion, right? Can you identify what it is that you're feeling right now? I hear you, or I, you know, body yeah. going through a temper tantrum. Let me help you put a label on that. And the 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 the, the process of being able to label that emotion then gives you the power of the pause, because if you can pause to say, okay. Wh- how can I explain what it is that I'm feeling? The breadth of that pause is enough to save lives. The breadth of that pause Man, is enough to save careers. The breadth of that pause. Marriages. <laughs> marriages. <laughs> the, the breadth, the length of that pause, right? 
And so what, 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 what's incredibly important for those of us who have, have, have been marginalized and have been made to, to, to experience, have had this uh, oppressive experience, um, one of the, the, the first acts of resistance, one of the first acts of disruption that we can do is when we feel, we pause. Yeah, man. And we, we acknowledge that the feeling is just that, a feeling, right? So it's, it's not, I am angry. It's, I'm feeling angry. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to embody the feeling and therefore allow it to, to stay with me, right? I can feel it. I can acknowledge that I'm feeling it. I can acknowledge what <laughs> is making me feel it, who is making me feel it. And then I can, there's some empowerment that comes after that. Yeah, yeah. Man, that's powerful. That that pause is powerful. That pause, baby. That pause is powerful. There, there are three parts of our brain, right? There's the mammalian, the, the limbic, and the neofrontal cortex, right? The mammalian or reptilian piece is where our flight, fright, or freeze sits, right? The limbic system is where our, is where our emotions sit, right? And our neofrontal cortex is where we're able to analyze and put things in boxes. When we experience traumatic situations, there's a disconnect between our reptilian or mammalian piece and our limbic system. There's a disconnect between that fight, flight, or freeze and that ability to rationally analyze where to put stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when we stop breathing, we stop allowing our brain cells and our neurons to do the work of connecting stuff and fixing stuff and making it make sense. And so the importance of the pause, the power of the pause is if you would just breathe, right? If you would just take a breath, your brain would do the necessary work of connecting to your, to your neofrontal cortex and allowing you to rationally think through what's going on. But when we stop breathing, when we, when we, when we accept that disconnect, now it's just fight flight or freeze, right? Yeah. Now we're just stuck in that traumatic, that, that, that traumatic episode. And so that pause becomes powerful because it allows us to breathe. It allows us to reconnect the pieces of our brain so that we're able to heal. We're able to restore. We're able to move forward. Man, that's power. And when you think about um, what the, the, uh, that fight, flight or freeze phase does, is it it inspires us to exit to get yeah. to, to it in the the inspiration behind it is to do something in response or in reaction to the stimulus that we are experiencing right what's in our face that's yeah. causing us to 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 cycle you know rapidly through this am i going to fight this am i going to run away from this or i don't know what to do i Maybe I'll freeze. Yeah. So maybe the thing will not see me, whatever it is, right? Yeah. What, what happens is when we take a breath, it resets that system. It tells yeah. the system everything is okay. Because what happens when we enter that 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 fight, flight, or freeze uh, response, our breath shortens up. Yeah. And, I, and we tense up because it's it's either we're going to run away. Or we're going to fight, right? We 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 have this physiological response, and you don't see people when they are about to to fight 
or run away from something, they don't. <sighs> no, no, they don't. De- they don't. They don't deep breath. No, yeah. the deep breath is over. There's no deep breath. It's short. You know, it's it's frustration. So when we are able to take that deep breath, that's when it resets. That's that's like the all clear. Everything yeah. we can we can begin to calm down. That yeah. you're absolutely right. The importance of yeah. that breath. It's it's everything, man. Because because what's happening in the traumatic episode is your brain is sending through the vagus nervous system the code that we about to go to war, yeah. right? <laughs> and so all available blood vessels and neurons are going to the extremities. They're going to your hands, where your hands start getting sweaty. They're going to your feet. They're going to your, your outer limbs because your body is preparing for impact, right? And so the problem is that when the blood rushes, uh, to defense mode because of the trauma. Think about it. The blood has to come from somewhere. And so what it does is it leaves exposed your core. And so your heart is exposed. Your breathing system is exposed. That's why you're taking short breaths because the blood is missing. The blood is in your fingertips, right? It's ready to either punch or run or claw or defense or whatever. Right. Right. It, it takes it from your digestive system. Right. And so now when you're in the midst of trauma, you got a, a bellyache. Right. Things don't feel right. Your stomach don't feel right. Right. It takes it from your from your from your, from your, your ability to, to be healthy. And so and so and so now you're sick all the time. You're wondering why you got headaches. You're wondering why. Right? And all, all of that stuff is because you're stuck in this dramatic episode and you haven't breathed. You haven't paused long enough so that you can reset, so that the body can do what it was designed to do. Man, do you know that we have three different kinds of tears? Chemically, we have three chemically different kinds of tears, right? So we have what's called basal tears, and that's if you were cutting onions, you know, right? That's the, that's the tear that produces. That's chemically different, right? We have tears that keep our eyes moist. I'm not sure what, what, what that name is, right? Right, but 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 they're but they're specifically designed just to keep the eye from drying out. But then you have tears that are specifically different uh, coded uh, to to pain, right? And so those tears have a different structure. And so when you're experiencing pain, when you're experiencing trauma, those tears specifically have endorphins in them that literally release into your body to begin to heal your body, right? So your body is designed to heal itself if you will put it in the right conditions and position to be able to do that. And the only way to begin that process is to pause and to breathe. Mm. Pause and debris, and we don't do that enough. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it. One thing that I reflex tears. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like him. Yes. Dr. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that is that is incredibly important to acknowledge is there are times and. And these times are quite frequent for black and brown folk living in the United States. There are times when the trauma is so ubiquitous that it is difficult to feel any type of empowerment to be able to change your reaction or your feeling in that situation, right? So so in, in no ways are we are we 
selling short the significance of context, right? Yet and still, there are ways, this is what Dr. Ron is telling us, there are ways that we can engage the resilient, the dormant resiliency in our bodies. And it starts with taking a breath, right? When we, when we, when we observe the influence of, of the racial injustice that is taking place, I mean, everywhere, I was about to say just specifically in the Midwest, but it's everywhere. When we observe the significance of the pandemic, when we observe the significance of just dealing with loss in general, right? So dealing with 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 the loss of of personnel, of family, of loved ones, of of friends, these are complex stressors by themselves, right? Complex traumatic events by themselves, and the reason that we call them complex is because they affect multiple systems, right? It's not just a stressor to to my emotions, but it's a stressor that 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 is difficult for me to see space around. And what we are able to do, what we can do, what we have the power to do, what we are designed to do is to allow ourselves yeah. Yeah. to take a breath and to take yeah. a pause. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can, can 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 I deal with that space real quick? Come on, man. And I think I think that's an important distinction. Let's let's imagine let's imagine um, I'm going to see Dr. Heyman, going to visit him and the wife at the house, the two boys at the house. I pull up at the entrance of their um, cul-de-sac, right? Right now, I'm looking, trying to figure out which house is theirs, right? To me, at the entrance of the cul-de-sac, all the houses look alike. They all look pretty much the same size. They might have a couple different colors, a couple different things in the yards, but pretty much they're the same house, right? So I can't really tell the difference um, between his house versus anybody else's house, right? right? My perspective is different, right? Now, let's say I get up to the door of Dr. Heyman's house. I'm standing right in front of the door. The, the doorbell is right there. They probably got one of those coming to America big lion heads that you have to knock right, right, on, right on the front door. Right? <laughs> right, right, right. But let's say I'm standing right there. The dimensions of his house now seem different. They are overwhelming. His house is bigger than I am, right? I don't know uh, the space, right? It's hard to tell just how gigantic it is because I'm so close to it, right? That's, that's, that's being enmeshed, right? right? And, so, and so part of what we're suggesting is that simply backing up gives you a different perspective. It doesn't change the house. The house was always the size of the house was going to be. The trauma was always the size the trauma is going to be. What what, what I want to suggest are that there are tools and ways by which I can back up. I can put myself in a different space to allow myself permission to have a different perspective over the trauma I'm looking at. I don't have to be as enmeshed as I am. There, There are some things that are outside of my control. But for the things that are inside of my control, for example, my breath, for example, my attention, 
for example, my, where I physically place myself, my space, right? For the things that, 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 are, that are in my ability to control, if I simply utilize those pieces, I can shift my perspective that would give me a different understanding over the dimensions of the trauma that I'm embracing. Is that, is that what do you think, Dr. Anna? I think it makes fantastic sense. And, and the, the, the reason that I believe that it makes such significant sense is that the, our ability, I, I don't want to sell short what it is that you're saying. I, I, I want to uh, help edify that message as best as I can. Giving ourselves permission, like giving ourselves permission, that means that we are taking the power away from the trauma. We're, 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 we're taking the energy. We're, we're observing, we're, we're aware of the energy that we are expending trying to perceive the, the magnitude of this trauma, right? And, and what I mean is we're trying to see how long this trauma is going to last, right? <laughs> right? Because when, when it's right here, it's like, oh, yeah. Whew, when is this going to yeah. be over? Yeah. Rather yeah. than saying, all right, this is trauma. Yeah. Yeah. This is trauma right now. And this trauma is here to teach me something. Yeah. There is a lesson for me to learn in this traumatic experience? Is it is it fair that that I have to <laughs> have so many of these lessons? Is it is it is it uh, 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 equitable that I have to have so many of these lessons while such and such doesn't have to have as many of these lessons? But by yeah. we are only aware of our experience. We do That's not it. know. We do not know what trauma. Other people are experiencing. We do not know what stressors other people are experiencing. So as long as we allow our energy and our attention to leak out of us mm. by either spending time wondering how long the trauma is going to last or by spending time wondering why me, we can take that energy and again, rather than allowing it to just leak out of us and therefore tire us out and exhaust us, we can take that energy and we can do something with it. We can focus it on ourselves and we can say, you know what? I'm going to give myself permission to be the focal being right now. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. give myself permission to yeah. not necessarily ignore the trauma, but to question how I am situated around this trauma or in this trauma or with this trauma, right? Allowing ourselves to find that positioning because when we give ourselves that, that, that modicum of permission at the very beginning, before we are even aware of what we can do, the, the, yeah. the first thing that we are saying that you can do is take a breath, take a deep breath cleansing breath yeah man yeah yeah i think it was uh sonia sanchez who said um i will become a collector of me mm. and put me on my own soul 
right? When I value myself, right? When I bring myself front and center into the middle of the trauma, it doesn't dis- it doesn't dismantle the trauma, but yeah. it simply says, "I'm here too." Yeah, I'm here too. Yeah, uh, uh, Dr. Ebony, you got you have a question? Yes, sir. I actually have a comment and a question. Um, oftentimes, when a person has experienced trauma or is triggered by a traumatic event, they lose the ability to control simple everyday activities like breathing. Can you share some tips on how to deal with the precursors that come before you're able to control your breathing? So if you're not there in that space and in that place yet, you don't have that perspective yet. Can we take a step back and kind of deal with that? Yeah, yeah, really good. You had a comment too? Or, that was or just, it. it was just the comment was that some people just aren't there yet. And so yeah. what can we say to people who don't have this knowledge yet? Or ability yeah. yet? Yeah, so I'll take a stab of it, a stab at the, at the answer, and then I'll throw it to the doctor uh, over there. <laughs> so, so, so the the greatest thing we can do, and I and I just said it, but I'll say it again: the greatest thing we can do is acknowledge our presence and our role, um, even in the trauma, right? Right. So I'm I am here too, right? I may not be able to breathe yet. I may not be able to articulate uh, the the intricacies of of emotionally what I'm feeling, but the very acknowledgement that I exist here too gives me the capacity for all those other things to be formulated. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes what will happen is we will become so enmeshed in the trauma, we will lose sight of our own humanity. Mm -hmm. We begin to, I don't want to pull scripture, but we begin to define ourselves as the woman with the issue of blood, right? The trauma becomes our definition. The trauma becomes our identity, right? And so the ability to separate, that's why I love what Jesus said, turn around and call her daughter, right? She, he didn't call her you that used to have the issue. He said daughter, he separates. The ability to see ourselves, to be fully present um, is is what gives us the capacity to then go to the other pieces. Um, can I breathe? Uh, can I create space? Can I can I can I formulate circles? Can I can I retell my narrative in a way that gives me hope and promise? Can I find rituals that get that empower me? All those pieces come out of first being able to acknowledge I am here. Also, the the the, the stuff didn't just happen to you. You were there when it happened. Mm. It's a very different way of saying it, right? Right. You weren't in the car crash. There was a car crash and you were in it. You were there. That's a very different way of seeing ourselves present in the midst of our trauma. And when we can begin to do that, then we can build capacity for all the other pieces. Dr. Heyman. Yeah. I, oh, I love that. And and to to highlight a very specific portion of that, when we are able to realize where we are, and it might not even be a a statement that we make, it might have to start with a question, where am I? Just where am I? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. What's happening? Who who am I? Who who am I? Who am I? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But then on the other side of it, there's this from a from a perspective of gentle pushback. 
rhetorical question, perhaps, but when are we not breathing? Right? When are we not taking breaths? When we're when we're dead. Yeah. Because we're human beings, we we are always breathing. And that's the thing that happens with trauma that that that, that Dr. Ron just pointed out. The trauma is given such precedence, such significance that it overtakes our humanity and 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 we negate the fact that we are breathing whether we're aware of it or not our breaths may be shortened they may be shallow but we are still breathing yeah once we get finished asking ourselves those questions of of where am i and who am i and how did i get here and whose am i it's huh I'm still alive. <laughs> and that entails that I've been breathing this yeah. whole time. Right? So so the so the question is what if we are too close to the trauma to to uh, uh, realize that we can take a breath. My question back to you would be when did you lose the recognition that you were breathing anyway. Mm. Mm. You have been breathing. And this is that this is that 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 piece of 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 agency that we're talking about. This is that empowerment aspect that we're talking about. Whether we're aware of it or not, breathing is an automatic response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 Dr. Heyman, can, can I add in there? Because I think you're 100 percent right. And not only is it about agency, but I think that's the perfect place for a community. Yeah. Because someone may need to remind us. Yeah. Maybe you've been breathing. Yeah. Oh, you still here. Sugar, <laughs> yeah. so you okay? Right. Some, that, 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 that becomes the role of community. That becomes the role of circles. And we'll deal with circles two weeks from now. But that becomes the importance of circles are, are placing ourselves in positions where others can affirm and speak like speak breath uh, when we don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. I want to I want I want to give a practical example. Uh, uh, I remember the 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 morning after George Floyd was killed. Uh, one of the local uh, reporters called me. Um, didn't know they had my phone number. They called me. <laughs> and, they, and they said, um, uh, you're a pastor of a black church uh, uh, um, in, in, in St. Paul. Um, do you have a comment about, about, about the death uh, of, of George Floyd? I said, no. <laughs> and, and, and the lady was like, well, I, 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 I don't understand. I said, well, I just watched the video of a black man being killed by a white police officer with his foot or his knee on his neck. I'm a black man. And right now I can't, I can't, I can't give you what you need because right now I'm in a position, I'm in a place emotionally where I gotta sit with this. I gotta, I gotta, be, I gotta be present with this trauma that I just experienced. I've gotta make room for myself, right? Right, that's what permission does. Permission says, I'm not excusing the trauma. I'm not excusing what happened. I'm not trying to deflate or defend. I'm simply saying, I am here too. 
And as a black man in the city, hmm. I am here too. I just watched something and it's, it's shaking me to my core because it's right down the street and it could just as easily be me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have a comment and, and don't need to. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't have a scripture for you. Right? <laughs> right? I don't have a prayer to give you right now. I just need you to hang up. Right. right? <laughs> and so and so, you know, she was a little peeved. But mm-hmm. but I think I think I think if we are going as black and brown bodies, if we are going to make it through this moment, um, whether it's Derek Chauvin's trial whether it's, you know, COVID, whether it's, you know, the drama with politics and sides. If we're going to make it through this moment, we've got to begin to give ourselves permission to be fully present and to articulate to the best of our ability, I ain't good. I'm not all right. And I don't need to give you an explanation. I used to say all the time, I used to say all the time uh, to, to, to my white colleagues in ministry, uh, I would tell them, you know, listen, um, what I can't be is your racial tour guide. Mm. Right? I can't, <laughs> I can't lead you at a safe distance past <laughs> all the cages of our trauma and past and say, look, right? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that. I won't do that. Right? Mm. right? Right? I am here too. I'm in it. And so I've got to give myself permission to feel the feelings and to articulate when I can, but to be fully present in the midst of my trauma so that I can heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's such a fantastic comment because it reminds me of, you know, being in academia, of course, you know, I have white colleagues as well. Before I, before I came back to Morgan, I've only been at Morgan since 2019, as you know, Ronald. Um, but before then, I was out at the University of Michigan on the Flitz campus. And while I was there, I, you know, made, obviously made friends of, of, of different races, Caucasian and whatnot. And so it would, it would always be, um, it would be interesting when the night after or the, 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 you know, the week after, you know, some, some racially motivated traumatic event has taken place when my white colleagues would come up and say, you know, Dr. Heyman, how are you doing? You know, how are you feeling? And I I would think because at that time I wasn't giving myself permission to really let them know, but now I do. And so I would be thinking, I I don't understand why you're asking that question because it's 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 a, a half-hearted empathy that you're engaging in. Because what you're not what you're not realizing is that this event has happened before your eyes as well, right? This event took place in your country. This event yeah. took place for you to experience it and to see it and to feel it. So it's 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 it might be noble of you to say, "Hmm, I wonder how the individual that 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 shares the same race." as the the victim of this you know racially motivated uh, trauma right i wonder how they feel but what what the the more significant question to ask is well how do i feel why do i feel like i have to externalize this event and then let's take it a step further if you don't want to hold it and you want to ask your black friend or your black colleague or your brown colleague whomever how they feel imagine 
imagine, imagine before you ask how they feel. When you are trying to get out of your skin, you are trying to get out of your body, you are trying to get out of your country, right? From you're trying to get out of your experience, knowing how traumatic it is to you to watch something like that happen. Yeah. But yeah. yet you know that you have the privilege to be racially distanced from 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 a high likelihood of that happening to you. So you're gonna ask, you know, yeah. your black colleague, right? And 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 when we do that, to me it always highlights how easy it is and 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 how uh, occasionally effective and efficient it is for even us to become disembodied, yeah. right? For even us to step outside of our bodies and and and, and, and that in that regards lose track of our breath, right? We're yeah. outside of our body. That's why we don't know we're breathing still. Yeah, because to be in our body means to be in close proximity to the trauma. Yeah. And because this trauma is not acute, but it's chronic, meaning it's it's happened before multiple times and it's likely to happen again multiple times afterwards. The response, a response is to escape. And if we cannot escape the country, if we cannot escape the experience, we escape our body. Yeah. We step yeah. outside of our body. We disassociate as best we can, whether it be through drugs or alcohol or any other vice that we may engage in. Right. And so when we talk about the significance of 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 breathing, of of acknowledging that we can take a breath, when we take a deep breath, we are sucking ourselves back into our body and we are giving ourselves permission yeah. to stand up in front of this 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 trauma and this stressor and say, you gave it your best shot. But my community has reminded me that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still here. I'm in here. Yeah. I'm still breathing. Yeah. You gave it your best shot. I'm still standing. Yeah. Yeah. Man, how powerful is that to reconnect ourselves? Robin Robin says, oh, my, my, my favorite book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's had a whole, our bodies and whole trauma. Yeah. My favorite books. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we've got about 15 minutes left or 14 minutes left. Um. Isaiah, are there any, or, or Ebony, either, either one, are there any burning questions or thoughts uh, from the community? I want to make sure we get other voices, um, if there is some. Feel it to heal it. Yes, Lord. You got to feel it to heal it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you can only do that by allowing yourself to be fully present. I am here also. Yeah. Right. And so and so I do want to give uh, and while, while, while more questions are coming, I, I, I do want to offer uh, Dr. Heyman, as we leave uh, the, the two of us to offer just some practical um, advice for how to activate permission. And so we've, we've named already two pieces, um, pausing and taking a breath. Right. Breathing in that pause. Right. I think another way uh, to activate uh, the permission uh, is to simply have a mantra. I am here too, right? I am here also. I think another way to be to to activate uh, permission uh, is to give yourself space. Is to find space, right, in the midst of the trauma. That means curating your spirit. That means I can't watch the trial all day long. I can't have it blaring in the background. I can't have multiple conversations all going ongoing about, about what's happening. I've got to make space 
for me to heal, for me to have peace. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what would you say around some practical examples uh, to, to maneuver through permission? Absolutely. A fantastic question. One of the, one of the places where I started um, is I got off of social media completely. Um, I shut down my Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram page completely. And it had been um, uh, it had been some months in the making. I didn't just do it cold turkey, but what I realized is that, as you mentioned, the 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 internet, specifically social media, was 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 like a a source of vicarious trauma for me. Right? It was it was it was a constant reminder, and it was pointing out the racial injustices and it was pointing out the 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 injustices and the and it was it was an echo chamber right that that just kept coming at me from all sides as soon as i you know my phone would vibrate my watch would vibrate it would just be too much and what i ended up doing was was you know a couple of months ago just logging off for the final time completely and i haven't missed it and another thing that i do now is I spend time when I can. I understand it is not as easy uh, in 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 the in the northern Midwest, but I spend time outside as often as I can. Um, I spend time outside as often as I can, prim- primarily because it's a reminder of how of how things are still moving around me, yeah. regardless of how stuck I am in my situation. If I, if I can't go outside, I will look out the window and I will pay attention to how the trees are blowing or I'll, you know, pay attention to the birds or, you know, even the cars going by. Just that recognition that life is still going on is a reminder enough for me to say, okay, life is still going on. I'm still breathing this really sucks where I am. This this really, this is really, really challenging and difficult to be in the midst of this traumatic experience right now. Yeah. But life is still moving regardless. That's, really, that's really good, really good. I, Isaiah, are you coming on? I got a question that I'm gonna share from the Facebook group, which I'm gonna share from Robin, she says, I know community leaders and activists struggle with giving themselves levels of permission to step back, pause, and reset out of fear of letting their community down. Any tips for those leaders so that they don't feel guilt, guilty by their need to take care of themselves? Yeah. Can I go first on this? Please, please do, please do. So you know on the when you're on planes, and one of the things that the flight attendants say as they're preparing you uh, for the flight, in case of an emergency, there's going to be a, a, in case of an emergency and we lose cabin pressure, there's going to be a, 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 a an airbag that falls from the ceiling. Make sure you apply your face mask to yourself first. Yeah. Before attempting to apply the face mask to others who are with you that might not be able to do it. Now, because all of us apparently have had the great grand privilege to have not had to 
experience a plane crash and therefore have to, or, or even turbulence significant enough that the masks come down, right? It's hard for us to find uh, uh, the significance of that message that we're always reminded of. It's not selfish to make sure that you are strong enough to make sure that you are healthy enough, to make sure that you are well-resourced enough or at least as well-resourced as you can possibly be before you make an attempt to go out and provide others with strength, to provide others with resources, to provide yeah. others with what they need in order to survive the experience. If we do not take care of ourselves, let me put it like this, let me put it like this. This, these, trauma isn't going anywhere. As long as human beings are on the planet, there's going to be trauma. Just, just, it's a perception thing, right? Because trauma isn't going anywhere, people are always going to need leaders to highlight for them how they can overcome the trauma, to lead them out of the trauma, to give them suggestions, right? Advice, mentoring, modeling how to overcome the trauma. We can go all out, ignore our health, ignore our breath, ignore our resources, ignore what we need, and we will only be able to help a small amount of people for a small amount of time. It's noble, They will. it will be fantastic, but that's enough to get through one of the battles, what we need is sustainability. And the way that we achieve sustainability is by taking care of ourselves, by giving ourselves permission to be the absolute best leader that we can be. The yeah. best leader is a leader that can sustain their efforts to lead, not someone that stands up. You know, uh, it, it, those, those leaders are important. Don't get me wrong, but the leader who is consistent, the leader who is sustainable, that's what we need. And the only way we're going to be sustainable is by making sure that we, as the leaders, have what we need before we go about, you know, modeling or offering any advice or anything else to anyone else. Man, that's that's it, sir. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I was gonna try to come back and give and and and, and give a, a, a layup, but that's it, sir. I'm gonna take that one. <laughs> you just half courted that right there. Man. I'm taking that one. I'm taking that one. <laughs> Listen, I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. I'm gonna already tell y'all now. Somebody you know needs to hear. Uh, and watch this presentation. So forward this, share this uh, with your contacts and make sure you're right back here um, next Tuesday at 7 p.m. We're going to be talking about ritual and the importance of creating and finding rituals that help us to begin to heal even in the midst of our trauma. And you heard some of that tonight, breathing exercises and pausing. You heard some of the ways uh, that we begin to do that in order to maintain ourselves. Again, you are here. You need to say that to yourself tomorrow morning before you turn on CNN, Fox, NBC, 
MSNBC, before you before you engage folk about jury selection in a trial, you need to say to yourself when you wake up, I am here. Mm-hmm. Right? Give yourself permission to be fully present. Listen, I thank God for each one of you. Again, I'm excited to get to hang out with y'all again next week. Make sure, make sure you we have two options. If you if you register through Eventbrite, uh, we may be able to bring you up on screen. We have a limited capacity to do that. Or you can simply just watch uh, via Facebook Live. But we're looking forward to the conversation again next next Thursday. Again, thank you to my brother, my big brother, uh, Dr. Linwood Heyman, Morgan State University. He's so bad. He got three flags in the back, three of them. <laughs> one for the father, one for the son, one for the Holy <laughs> We thank God for you, man. Looking forward, looking forward to next week. <laughs> Brother, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you, man. I love you. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.